Let us pray. God, we thank you for all that you are. We're thankful for the love that you shower upon us. We're thankful for Jesus and the sacrifice that he did for us on the cross. The victory that he claimed at the resurrection. The promise now of eternity. The promise now of forgiveness and reconciliation with you. The way that you also promised to walk through this life with us. Giving us comfort and strength. Forgiveness and hope. The way you can bring peace even in the midst of the storms. Because we know that you've still got us. Because we know that you're still here with us rooting us on, loving us all the way through, and picking us up every time we fall. Father, we thank you for that love, especially on this Palm Sunday. We pray all this in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I thought Tanner crushed it today. That was awesome. I, I love that. Today we're going to be kind of continuing on our theme for this morning. It's, it's one of discipleship. It, uh, Tanner actually alluded to that, marks of a true Christian. So I want to kind of begin in, in verse 1 of chapter 12, just reviewing the first two verses before I get into the bulk of what we're going to be talking about tonight. But it says this, Paul writes, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. Remember, we talked about this, this last week, but a living sacrifice, an obedient sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And so every time we serve God, and so every time we follow God, and every time we're obedient to God, it's an act of worship, it's an act of sacrificing our sinful nature in those moments to follow the Lord that loves us. It's our acts of worship. And then he goes on and says, so do not be conformed to this world. As you look around our world today, it's a mess. Don't be conformed to that at all. But instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. So all the way through in his writings, Paul says that the way that we overcome Satan, the way that we overcome temptation, the way we overcome so many things is a renewal of our mind. It's essentially trusting in God's truths, trusting in his promises, trusting in the power of Jesus, trusting in the power of the Almighty God, trusting that he's got us, that he's with us, that nothing's impossible, that we can overcome anything, all those different things. Trusting in those as ultimate truths more than what the world says around us. And we talked last week about all the different ways that the world is going today. But God says, my truth is still true. There's still consequences to sin, whether the government gives its thumbs up or thumbs down. I still want you to follow me. And then he goes on to this next section. And he starts off with kind of the key, I think, in, in doing so many of the things that he will share with us later on. In verse 3, he says, For by the grace given to me, God's undeserved love given to me, I say to everyone among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, what gets us in trouble almost always as we walk through life? Thinking of ourselves more than anybody else around us, right? Now, I'm just going to give you an example today. and it, 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 Don't let it upset you, but I'm just going to give you an example. This mask thing during the pandemic... There are some in our country that will shame you for wearing a mask, and there are some in our country that will shame you for not wearing a mask. When they're doing the shaming, whose focus are they on? Who do they care most about in that moment? Themselves. Whether out of fear or out of rights or whatever, they are thinking only of themselves in that moment. Not about anybody else. Not about bringing people to Christ. Not about showing love. It's all them to the point that they'll scream you down. And that's too bad. And sometimes you see it even in the church. 
We lose such sight of other people. We get so consumed with ourselves, and it becomes red carpet, green carpet over almost every issue in life. You know what the proper response for the mask thing is? If you see somebody that's freaking out about it, you put the mask on just because you love them and you don't want to freak out, them to freak out. If they don't have a mask, if they don't want you to wear a mask, then maybe you just give them some distance and engage them in a conversation. So it was a few weeks ago, I was taking my car in, and one of the service guys came through and he didn't have a mask on. And back then, you know, two weeks ago, that, that was unusual a little bit, right? I mean, everybody was wearing masks, you know? So kind of noticed that for sure. And, and, and instead of like making a deal like somebody else in the thing did, I, I kind of just took a step back and engaged him in a conversation, asked him about his day. You know, we were just kind of talking and chatting up for a little bit. I didn't get COVID. I, I, I didn't compromise anything that I thought was important. But the reality is I showed love to the guy in the midst of a time when some other people weren't, right? God says, I want you to show love. But the only way you can show love is you get, if you get over yourselves. Stop making yourselves the most important thing and focus on others. Isn't that hard? I gave you a hard example, but I think it's hard. We get so stuck in our own thing that it's hard for us to prioritize the people around us. When I say that, I don't mean thinking of yourself less, diminishing who you are or your roles or whatever. I just mean thinking about other people more, caring about some of their needs more. That's what love looks like. And if we could grasp hold of that, that life isn't about us, but it's about others because God makes it all about us. If we could grasp hold of that truth, it would help us love others the way Paul's going to talk about. So he says this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, him, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him. So I shared this this morning, but I was having a conversation with a kid that was just entering into the ministry. And we were talking about different things, and he says, Micah, I'm just so overwhelmed by the demands of ministry. I feel so inadequate when people come in for counseling. I, I feel so inadequate when I get up and I start preaching to other people. I just feel so inadequate for the task. They're coming to me for spiritual help. They're coming to me for spiritual guidance, and I just don't always know if I'm equal to the task. I said, well, let me take the pressure off for a second. This is a guy who was preaching premarital counseling when he was single. Anybody feels overwhelmed is that, right? But the reality is, I said, God just calls us into the ministry, but his promise is he's going to do all the heavy lifting. He's the one who's going to work in the hearts. He's the one that's going to help it make sense. He's the one that's going to transform their lives. He's the one that's going to make a difference. He just wants you to be faithful and open up your mouth or share your care or your supports or whatever and trust that he's going to use it. Every time a preacher gets up, it's not the preacher that changes your life. It's God who changes your life. If he uses anything in the midst of a message, anything in the midst of a service, and it somehow touches your heart, that's not the pastor. That is God using that word to somehow change something in your heart, change something in your mind, in your life, because he has purpose for it. If God is speaking to you in a devotion or a Bible study or a service, you know that the Spirit is flashing out, right, and having an effect on your life. God is talking to you in that moment. Give credit where credit's due. And I was sharing that with the kid, and he just went, okay then. He goes, I can do that. Sometimes you get into the ministry and you start thinking it's all you. It's one of the biggest killers in ministry, pride. But it's not. 
It's all God. And the sooner you can realize that as a pastor, the sooner you start seeing God do things that there's no way you could do. God has all sorts of ways of humbling people in ministry. Take away volunteers, take away staff members, take away, I mean, all of a sudden things get more difficult. But God says, continue to trust that I've got you. Look at yourself in a humble estimation of who you are. Not to think less of your role. I think it's really important that I get up here and I share the truth with you. I think that's one of the most important things I can do. That's part of my role. But it doesn't make me any more important than the person that puts communion on the trays or the person that's running PowerPoint. You want to make me less effective in a hurry? Do one of those two things, you know? But the reality is that everybody has an important piece. Everybody's vitally important to the experience that we have in worship or to the experience that we have in growing people in Christ. Everybody has a role. Everybody's important. Look at yourself in humble estimation, not to lord it over people, right? But to work with them in concert, in collaboration to accomplish amazing things for Jesus. But so often we start thinking what? Of ourselves more and what we deserve or what we've earned or what we think we should do. And that starts complicating the ministry. It starts complicating the relationships that you're trying to build. You're essentially getting in the way of what God wants to do because you're making it about you again. And this is true not just in dealing with other people. It's true in the ministry. It's true as you, in your families. How many of you guys that are husbands can make it all about you and have it not negatively affect your relationship with your wife? Honey, you want to do this? No. Hey, would you help me with this? No. You're not sleeping in our room. You know that. Yes. <laughs> you know, I mean, we can't make it all about ourselves in marriage. It's counterproductive to make it all about ourselves with our kids. They feel that in a hurry. We've got to make it about other people. And the only way we can be effective in any of those areas is to put them first. Because people feel it when you don't. He goes on then. Again, this is the secret that helps us to do the following. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. And so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another. In other words, we're all in this together. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, God's love, God's gifting to us, let us use them. If prophecy, prophecy is sharing God's word, either reminding you of the promises of the past, or in some occasions opening up... New truths or new wisdom from God in the future, right? Always in concert with what the scriptures would say, though. In proportion to our faith, in service, in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, and the one who exhorts in his exhortation. I'm telling you, I, I pray that every one of you have an exhorter in your life. We have a lot of critics, don't we? A lot of critics. But we all need exhorters. And there's some people in this church that are amazing at the exhortation. I'll get little notes every once in a while. Pastor, you nailed it in this sermon today. You know what? That makes me feel good. Hey, somebody got something out of it today. Yay! You know? But, it, but I, it's not just me that he encourages. He'll encourage staff. He'll, it, it just keeps sending these notes out saying, hey, God totally used you today. Hey, way to go with the kids. Hey. And he just keeps encouraging and encouraging and encouraging. And it has an effect on me, on the staff, on volunteers. Everybody needs an encourager in their life. And if you don't have one, my encouragement to you is be that person for other people. Man, people want to be, and if you want friends, people want to be around people that are encouragers, that lift them up, 
that help them be the most that, that God has made them to be. We have enough terror downers, but we need those people that exhort. And so if you have that gift, God says, in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And so you don't do acts of mercy and then say, look at me, right? You do acts of mercy and say, God, use this in power. Do your thing. May you get the credit for this. God sees everything that you do. He knows everything that you think. When you're doing things, trying to follow him, he uses it. You get the credit in heaven. If nobody else finds out, man, it's all up in heaven is your credit. Great is your reward. And then he goes on and says, okay, again, getting yourself out of the way, putting other people first, realizing that we're in all this together, that it's not, no, somebody doesn't have greater gifts than other, than other people. We just have different gifts. He goes, okay, so this is what the marks of a Christian look like. These are signs that Christ is in you. Let love be genuine. Keep talking about the circle, people that we really love. I mean, in action, that we show that we love, that we think about more than we do our own selves. It could be a small circle for most of us because there's not a whole lot of people in there that we really love that way. A lot of time our kids are in there. I mean, we just, our kids do something great. We're so proud of them. We're telling everybody what they've done. We're so excited for their successes, so excited for the things that we're going through. But if it's a sibling, if it's a friend, sometimes we're not as excited. Who is it that you just love and they're excited when they succeed? Who is it that you love and you're there for them when they need you? Who is it that you put before your own issues? I think of a mom and the kid's screaming. The kid's screaming. And it's the middle of the night and she's got to wake up early the next morning. It could be a dad, but usually mom, right? And anyway, she's going into the room and she picks up that child and she brings comfort to them. When the last thing she wants to do is be awake, she's putting her kid first, showing that kid love, helping that feel, kid feel comfort so that they can go back to sleep. She's put herself second in that moment so that her kid can feel most important. That's what God calls us to do as we go through life. Let's love be genuine, not just words, but in action. Abhor what is evil. Do you really abhor everything that's evil in our culture right now? Abhor means to hate what is evil. Do you hate that sexual sin has kind of taken over a huge swaths of our country? Do you hate it even when there's people in your, in your relationship circle that are pursuing living together before marriage or having premarital sex? Or, and that's just some of the other pornography. I mean, those are some of the things that aren't even getting into the LGBTQ stuff. Do you hate it with a passion? Do you love them but hate what they're doing to themselves? Knowing that that sin is complicating their life, destroying their life. Do you understand why we hate sin? It's because it's a destroyer. Because we don't want somebody to lose their faith. Sometimes I think we get so desensitized to the evils around us that we're like, ugh, it's just there, you know? We don't no longer hate it or are, what's the word, warned because of its presence. We just kind of invite it into our being, invite it into our culture as just is, and it becomes easier and easier just to kind of say, ugh, instead of to hate the destruction that it's wreaking in people's lives. 
So let love be genuine and hate the evil that Satan is using to destroy the people that you care about, destroy you. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Here's another thing. How often do you give other people credit? How often do you brag on, not your kids, okay, that really narrows it down, right? How often do you brag on other people's abilities or successes or whatever? How often do you just respect somebody because of their position? Man, that's being lost today. We used to respect police officers. <laughs> and I tell my kids, if a police officer pulls you over, be respectful to them. Chances are it will go better for you if you're that way than disrespectful. We used to honor firefighters as they go in and put out blazes. We used to honor teachers. Remember that? Used to, if there was a, a debate between me and my teacher on who was right, and I went to my dad, you know who was right? The teacher was right. Irregardless, I put myself in a bad situation. I mean, something was going on. But the teacher deserved the honor. And here's the other thing. God put these people in authority over us, doesn't he? We'll get into that in just a little bit. So God put this teacher in authority to teach me something. God put pastors in authority to, to remind us of all his goodness, right? All the things in his word. Jesus, he gets police officers to protect us. He puts firefighters to, I guess, protect our homes. These are people that he puts in place, government officials, to make our lives better, ideally, right? So love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo each other in showing honor, Sometimes when it gets into the political world, it's hard for us to show honor, isn't it? Depending on which side of the aisle we are, it's hard for us to honor the people that are giving their lives to serve. I was talking with a guy the other day, and he's not a, a Ducey fan, but I just said, man, I think he's done a great job with this COVID thing. I think it'd be hard being a governor during a pandemic. I think it'd be brutally hard trying to weigh the, the health of your people versus the destruction of your economy, trying to manage the fear, the worrying. I bet there's a lot of nights he didn't go to sleep very well. And I think he's tried to do the right things. Did he do everything right? I don't know. But I credit him for trying. I credit him for trying to walk that line of, of doing both, but trying to do both well. And I just honor him for being in that position at that time and making those hard decisions, whether I agreed with them or not. That's the right heart for people that are in authority over us. I can't tell you the number of horrible things I heard about President Trump or President Obama or President Bush or President Clinton. I mean, I could go back. How many horrible things I'm hearing about President Biden? That's not honoring our elected officials, whether you agree with them or not. It's vilifying people because you disagree with them. Do we understand that? That's not okay. We love the sinner. We love the politician. We can hate the sin or the policies, right? But we love the individual. And that's been hard for Christians even, especially in this very toxic political culture that we live in. It's so easy to lambast the other side. It's so easy to criticize the other side and personalize it in ways that are just destructive, God says that's not okay. That's not honoring anybody. God, again, put these people in authority over us. When you dishonor them, you dishonor God. It's not okay. He goes on. Do not be slothful in zeal or your excitement for the Lord, but be fervent over the top in his spirit. Serve the Lord. 
rejoice in hope. I love that one, rejoice in hope. Now, hope is a Christian hope, right? The hope that you find in the Bible isn't like the hope of this world. I hope the USC Trojans win tonight. I really do. This is our sixth Sweet 16 in the history of this school. This would be the second Elite Eight if they can win tonight. This is historical for my school in basketball. It's amazing. I hope they win, right? They're playing a tough Oregon team. I hope they win, but it's not based on certainty. It's based on wishful thinking or, or, you know, or circumstantial thinking or whatever it might be. But the hope of Scripture is based on certainty. We can hope in heaven because we are certain, we are without doubt that it is there for us because of Jesus Christ. We can hope in the Lord's presence because it is a certainty that he walks with us every every step along the way, that he will never forsake us or leave us. We can hope in certainty over the forgiveness of our sins because Jesus won that for us on the cross. We can hope in the Lord because it is certain. It is not wishful thinking. It is not circumstantial. It is confident. It is accurate acting as if the thing we hope for has already transpired. It is that kind of confident living that can give us hope in the midst of any situation in life, that can give us peace in the midst of any complicated situation in life, that can give us joy. It's not, I know the world's perverted this in an unhelpful way, but this hope of Scripture is things that we can count on. It's the rock on which we can stand. It is things that give us confidence in the midst of what is to look forward to what absolutely will be. So rejoice in that hope. Get excited about that hope. Man, that's the reason we celebrate Jesus, not because he rose, but because of what that means for us. We are forgiven. We are reconciled. We will be with him for eternity. Be patient then in tribulation, counting on that hope. You can be patient when things aren't going your way. You can be patient in the midst of the storm because you know that somehow, someway, God is working all things for the good of those who love him. Do you get that? That's the only thing that can bring you joy when everything's going wrong. That's the only thing that can give you hope when when everything that you're looking at is not going according to plan. God is still working because he knows I love him. He's still working for my good. That should give you patience and joy and excitement to see what he'll do next. Be constant in prayer. It connects you with the most powerful being in the universe who does answer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to sow hospitality. Hospitality is an interesting one. I don't know that we just invite strangers into our home much anymore. But the reality is that God still calls us to be hospitable. It shows an other's focus, doesn't it? So I'm going to give you some ways to to think about being hospitable. Anytime somebody comes to our church that you don't know, or even if you do know them, think about being hospitable. How do we be hospitable to people that come? Make them feel special for coming. Make them feel wanted. Make them feel noticed and cared for. Make them know that this is a place that they can call home. Make them know that you're so excited that they came that night. Think about invite how you're a host when people come to your house for a party. You want them to know that they're welcome and you want them to know that you're glad that you came and you want them to know that if there's anything that they need, you'll help them with it, right? Same kind of thing when people come to church. You'd be blown away by how people receive that. It's one of the number one reasons people keep going to a church is when the other people in the church are nice to them. My sister, I, I love my sister. When she was in her 20s, she joined a church basically because of an usher. 
You know how we usually park in the same places, go in the same doors, sit in the same seats? Well, there's like this 70-year-old usher. She's in her 20s, but she always walked through the same door. And over time, the guy just, you know, recognized her and got to know her name, called her by name, started asking her about her week or whatever. And I don't know, my sister just started sharing with this guy. And over the course of time, they developed this rapport, right? And she ended up joining that church because there was one person in the church that cared if she was there, that showed interest in her, that knew her name. It's this whole idea of being hospitable. But you can do that at your jobs, and you can do that in your neighborhoods when somebody moves in, right? Or when there's a new person that comes to your employment, or, or however it might be. But this idea of being hospitable and encourager, right, as you go into the setting, somebody who's rooting for you, that's glad that you moved in, or whatever the deal, shows a care and a love that helps you witness to Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to what Tanner was talking about. As if that wasn't hard enough, he goes to this next part. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Now, I put it into context of today's politics, and let me just share that, and I'll read it again. Bless those who persecute you, say bad things about you, mess with you, your ideas, or whatever. Bless and do not curse them. The time when Paul was writing this, Nero was Caesar. Nero hated Christians. He really was one of the guys that really stepped on the gas pedal in persecuting Christians. And maybe it was a political thing to divert attention from other things, but he would get to the place where he actually lit Christians on fire to light the driveways to his palace. He light them on fire to light up the parties that he would have. He threw them to lion's dens. He made spectacles of those that wouldn't recant their faith in Christ. People moved out of Rome in mass during Nero's reign. There was a thought that Nero was the Antichrist himself for a while, going around the church. And when he died, there was a belief that he was going to come back again as the Antichrist, kind of further on down the line. So Paul was writing in the midst of that, in the midst of all that Tanner shared. He says, bless those that persecute you. Actual persecution. Bless and do not curse them. You know how hard that must have been? So it's not just disagreeing with the other side. It's actually being fearful that they are going to kill you because of your faith. And instead of mounting a massive resistance and actively combating Rome in some coordinated way, <laughs> they submitted to the authority of Rome. Not to stir up things, but to model what it meant to be a believer. That it was not all the negative things that they were hearing, but it was about love and forgiveness and salvation Bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. This would change the political rhetoric of almost every Christian if they would take this to heart. Pray for President Trump if you were a Democrat and pray for President Biden if you're a Republican. And then spread that down to the Senate and the House and the governorships and all that other stuff. Bless and do not curse them. Then rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. I tell you, sometimes at church you get opportunities that you don't always get other places. People come here for spiritual healing lots of times, and sometimes they'll just share with you, how's your day? And they'll actually share. And it gives you opportunity to be there for somebody in the loss of a loved one. Or pray for somebody when they're going in for a scary surgery. 
And just your presence and your willingness to take time and your just ability to listen sometimes give people comfort and support in ways that are tangible, that again show them that you love Jesus and that Jesus loves you because you provided that person in your life to bring you that special word or that special piece of comfort during that time. Live in harmony with one another. That's not what we're doing in the United States right now. We are divided horribly. It's almost like somebody's doing this on purpose, taking all these opportunities to pit us against each other, and it's working, sadly. Again, I've shared this. I know family members that don't talk to each other anymore, friends that don't talk to each other anymore. It's insane that we're allowing this exterior stuff affect our own families or our own friendships. Stop it. (laughs) Not that you guys are doing that, but we need to stop that. Do not be haughty, again, putting ourselves first, but associate with the lowly. I think we do a good job in theory about loving everybody, but when people come in that are different than us, it challenges us, doesn't it? We had a music director one time, and he had long hair and tattoos, and even though we, are, we know we're supposed to love everybody, initially there was judgment against the guy because why? He looked different. He had long hair and tattoos. They were Christian tattoos, by the way, but... There's a lot of people that couldn't get past that initially, and it was to our shame that any judgment befell that kid because of that. Sometimes, what if a homeless person came in and it wasn't disrupting anything, just wanted to hear the word of God, sat next to you in the seat? A lot of us are good people, and we let them sit there, right? We wouldn't move, but would you engage them in conversation? Would you see if we had anything in the in the cabinets in the kitchen that we could provide for food? Would, would you say, hey, I'm so glad. Is there anything, you know, can I, I hope to see you next week. Would you engage them in further care than just letting them, allowing them to sit next to you for a period of time? I think in America we do great when people look like us. But when people don't, it's a challenge for all of us at different times to continue to share that love for people, continue to show that care for people. Why? Because it's not about you anymore. It's about them coming to know Jesus. That's his call. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. In other words, vengeance isn't your right. But give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Wouldn't that be cool if we had politicians that just did what was right, not politically expedient? Wouldn't it be cool if we had bosses that just did what was right and not motivated by ascension or, 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 or some other factor that's going on? Wouldn't it just be cool if people just did what was right? Because people would look at that and go, you know what, I didn't like that, but it's probably right. You know, they made the good call. It wasn't what I wanted because I'm politically expedient, but it's right. Today, you don't seem to find that very often, do you? Not in our workplaces, sometimes not in our families, certainly not in Washington. He goes on and says, it's possible so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think all of us want to do that. But he's calling us, the way that actually happens is to put others first, to engage them into your world and find a way forward. I keep sharing with you my buddy Mike, He is a Democrat through and through. I'm a Republican through and through. But we love each other, man. I mean, he's my buddy. And we can find things to talk about. We can even laugh about politics, even though we are on very different sides. And what that's done is it's allowed me to understand the other side. It's allowed him to understand the other side. And it's actually allowed us to have some really productive conversations that I wish Washington would have, right? 
But you can't do that if you cut the relationship off. You can't do that if you close your ears. So God calls us to continue. And the whole key, again, is verse 3, to put others before you. Not that they're better than you, just that you think more about them than you do you. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. And if he is thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not overcome evil, but overcome evil, or do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. God says, let me be the guy that gets vengeance. Let me be the guy that makes things right. Let me be the guy that gets even. It doesn't do your heart any good for you to be that person. When you get vengeance, it never quite heals things like you think it will, right? He says, let your focus just be love. And I'm the God of justice, and just know that I will repay. Most of the time in this life, always in eternity. If you've ever got to see God do his thing, you know, you've abided by this, you've prayed for the person that's hurt you, you've prayed for the person that stuck the knife in you or whatever, the betrayal that you had or whatever it might be, and you've prayed for them and you just, and in my, all that prayer you've gotten from anger and resentment to pity, which is a victory in many ways, but you keep praying, and you've seen God met down his justice upon them, then you just honor that. And instead of being happy about it, usually you just grieve why couldn't they have turned? Why couldn't they have stopped and just avoided all this pain that God rained down upon them? They had all these years to change, to do something different, but they didn't, and God finally got involved. A lot of times we don't get to see that. But God's promise is that he always, always repays. The only thing that can thwart that is the forgiveness and love of Jesus, which we pray on everybody. And again, that's not getting away scot-free either. Do you know the agonizing guilt and pain you have to go through to repent to God for some of the evil that you've done? Do you know the the heart-wrenching process that that is? Knowing that you probably can't fix it in many cases or that they'll never forgive you in other cases, that you've destroyed part of your life. Do you see the consequences in full color before you of the evil that you have done? And coming to Christ and getting forgiveness for that is hard. And for those that achieve it, right, who give themselves to Christ and receive everything, you just rejoice in that because you know the process that they went through. Nobody gets away scot-free. And then I'll just, I know we're over, but just let me talk about this last part. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think in our culture today, it's so easy to be overcome by evil. I don't know if we just give up. We just go with everybody else and our rage. But it seems like whether it's politics, driving on the freeway, dealing with relationships, you name it, it's like we're being battered every single day by all this stuff that's worldly, that's against what God says. And we're just battered. And the battering is trying to get us just to give in on the evil, just to relent on holding our ground, just to relent. And it's so easy after a while just to give up or just to say it doesn't matter. And it starts to change when we give in to it, change our perspective, change 
our hearing of God's truth. Change the warning that sin should be giving us. But instead, Paul says, but overcome evil with good. So you see the evil in the world, and instead of raging against it, you love them back to Jesus. You pray for them back to Jesus. Again, if you notice, the disciples didn't mount an insurrection against Rome, and they were brutal to the Christians. They tried to love them to Jesus, and guess what? It changed the world More and more people became Christians until it took over the world for a period of time. That's the way to solve your relationships with people in your life that are pursuing unhelpful things. You try to love them back to Jesus. And once they see your care and the love of Christ, maybe some of those conversations on sin come up and you can draw the lines for them, right? But the reality is the way they come back to Jesus is by experiencing his love and his forgiveness and his care and his power and his healing, not by being argued into because of their sin. The sin's important. It's part of what's complicating their lives. It's a truth that you eventually need to share, but you need to share it in a way that they can hear. And so you share those tough truths, even those things, in love, in ways that they can comprehend, in ways where they see the line to the destruction that they're causing. We need to learn, start learning to love the world back to Jesus. Not to rage against it, but to love them back to the truth. To love them back to the forgiveness. To love them back to the power of Christ. It's why we celebrate Easter. It's why we come to church every Sunday. It's why we worship our Lord. So go with that encouragement today and let me pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for Jesus. Man, when we talk through some of this discipleship stuff, it's just hard. We look at all these encouragements, and we think, oh, we're doing horribly at this. We need to do better at this. And and the key, I think, for so many of us is just that we start putting ourselves as priority over everybody else. We get to the place where we're only thinking about ourselves. And we get entitled, and we get mad, and we get frustrated when people don't kowtow to what we want. So, Father, my prayer tonight is simply this. Give us a heart for those that you have put around us. Help us start prioritizing our relationship with our kids or with our spouses or with our neighbors or the people that we work with. Give us words that show love and care and concern and empathy and compassion. Let us show them, the world around us, that we care about them, that we truly love them. And in the midst of that, give us opportunities to love them back to you, to share your truth, to share your forgiveness, to share your power. Because to be honest, Lord, we want them in heaven. And we want to start transforming things in our world because the way it's going is horrible. So give us the power to start in our families and transform our families back to you. And then our extended families or our friends or our neighbors Maybe our whole neighborhood at some point. Maybe our whole city at another point. Be with us as we go out and spread out as St. Mark and and continue to bless Holy Cross and and lift them up so that they can reach people in South Scottsdale. And and Lord, if it be your will, open up that North Valley opportunity and, and preach to people and meet the needs of those people in North Phoenix. 
Father, we just pray that you continue to do your thing. And the more we get the focus off of us and onto others, may we see you do miraculous things. And that's our prayer tonight. We pray in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen.